Hi and welcome to the GMC Sunday podcast where our team from GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland, bring you our weekly message from the Lord. This podcast brings you a sermon series in St Paul's letter to the Ephesians, grounding ourselves in the Church of Jesus Christ. Each week our preaching team will consider Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and the wider region of then Asia Minor and in it see one of the most contemporary letters for the church today. It's a letter filled with deep meaning, exploring the past, present and future with his great argument. Paul considers all things before the foundation of the world and then carries it on to the fullness of times, embracing in its compass all things in heaven and on earth. Ephesians sets the theological landscape for those who love Jesus in order that they will bear fruit as individuals and as the universal church. Thanks for joining us on this podcast and we hope you're both encouraged to respond to God's word and will be challenged by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before the word from God, we will lead you in a time of prayer. Let us come before God in prayer. Father, it is good to laugh. It is good to find joy in the way of life. We just thank you so much. We are reliving August and September. We thank you for this fantastic weather. And we pray, uh, thanks, how much of a blessing it is to all of us, how much we enjoy the sunshine. Um, Blessings and peace be upon us all as we gather together this morning. We thank you for these gifts and offerings. Father, we thank you that you can take what we give and you can multiply it in so many ways. And you can bless so many people through the the small amount we can afford to give each week, each month. And we thank you that you give us that opportunity. We thank you for this place. We thank you for the freedom that we have to meet together when so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world do not have a place to call their own. Either through war or destruction, pestilence, or oppression from those who view your word as a as a threat. We ask for your peace to come upon us as we gather together, as we prepare our hearts, as we sing in praise, as we listen to the words that Mike has brought today. Let your Holy Spirit come upon us and leave us not untouched. Father, let us be willing and ready to hear your word and to be moved and touched by the power of your spirit. We welcome you into this place, Holy Spirit. Come upon us. Be with us. Bless us. For those of us who are struggling this week, those of us who are are in pain or are mourning, suffering loss, those who are struggling financially, those who have uh, concern about housing or wages or jobs, about our children, our grandchildren, those we love, those we care, for those who are moved and troubled by world events father we pray that you will come upon us and just for this time this morning put it to one side and allow you to speak to us to minister to us father you know us intimately you know our very being father you know what we need this morning 
And we pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon us and bless us, reach into our hearts and change us. Let us not leave this morning unchanged. Father, we just want to be with you this morning. And as we sing and as we worship and as we hear, Lord, do a work within us. Let us respond joyfully and with great gladness. In Jesus' name. Following our prayer time, I hope your heart is prepared and open to receive from God's word wherever you are today. If in anything you hear from our preacher today, from God's word or the sermon challenges you and maybe raises questions, or if you want to know more about the Christian faith and getting to know the Lord Jesus, then please get in touch via our website or through the office. Details are in our show notes. Or if you'd like to support GMC financially in our ministry for the kingdom, then offering details can also be found on the contact us page of our website, gillespiechurch.org. Now, over to our preacher. So we come to the second week in our series in Ephesians and like all series, um, more often than not one week uh, picks up where we left the previous week and today, last week's great benediction that we heard Paul uh, give in the opening through verses 3 to 14 now moves into a, a period of intercession. Paul is praying for Christ's followers in this passage this morning. He exalts God for the blessing, for blessing those to whom he writes in Jesus Christ. And then he prays, this is Paul, prays that God will open their eyes to the reality of the blessing that God brings to them. And it's not just for the, those to whom he writes, the, those in Ephesus. This prayer that Paul writes is for you also that your eyes would be open to the reality of God's blessing each and every day. So this morning we're going to look at the passage in three sections. Um, I'm not going to do the reading straight away, I'm going to read as we go through each section. The first one being just the introduction, verse 15 and 16, Paul's introduction to the prayer. Secondly, 17 through 19a, the first part of verse 19, is the prayer of intercession itself. And then finally... 19b through to 23 is about the exaltation of Christ and the recognition of God's power and therefore God's power to and through the church. And there's a couple of key themes that I'll pick up um, in relation to this and it's about a relationship between knowledge and belief and the importance of faith in this knowledge and belief and secondly the centrality of God's power to the people of God, to his church. I think I said last week, or if I didn't, um, I'll repeat it. Uh, the Paul moves in deeply inspired theological thoughts in verses uh, 13 and 14, just before we get to today's passage. He talks about the gospel of your salvation, of belief, of being marked in him. Uh, Jesus' followers are marked with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the guarantor of inheritance, the inheritance of God's people. 
And so he moves from that teaching into this prayer. And the two should be inseparable, teaching and prayer. Arthur Pink, a renowned English Bible teacher who ended up his last days up in Stornoway, he wrote, the preacher's obligations are not fully discharged when he leaves the pulpit. Well, I don't leave the pulpit, I leave the chancel here, but it says the same. He goes on, for he needs to water the seed he has sown. It is our privilege and duty to retire to the secret place after we leave the pulpit and beg God to write his word on the hearts of those who have listened to us to prevent the enemy from snatching away the seed to so bless our efforts that they may bear fruit to God's eternal praise. You don't come on a Sunday morning for a bit of light entertainment that you can go away and forget about. I go away and pray. I pray for the whole church, the congregation here at Gillespie, that you would be blessed by God's word and the devil would not snatch away the word that comes to you. I would also add uh, onto what Pink says that it is also for members of the church to pray for their minister, for God's blessing on the preaching of his word. That what I am seeking is of God. So the first part of our reading this morning um, are the first two verses, verse 15 and 16, hear the word of God. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And this is that transition. That transition from teaching to prayer. And Paul is explaining his reasoning for prayer. He, he writes actually, for this reason, which is why we can't discount last week. He's, he's carrying on in, in this letter. Um, Paul points to what he has taught in those opening words to the Ephesians. Namely, that opening was very much about God's sovereign grace in salvation. The salvation of God being his sovereign will, but also his grace. Paul prays because Paul knows the ultimate kingship, the sovereignty of God and Christ, that through Jesus, his work is an unmerited grace. And so Paul prays in thanksgiving for that, because the, the Ephesians have, as he says, the same faith in the Lord Jesus. They, they hold the same faith that Paul does. They love God's people, namely their brothers and sisters in Christ. This connection of family, of being in Christ, is the spur, it's the driving force of prayer. When we pray for one another, the driving force is Christ and the praise of God himself. And that's what we do when we come on a Sunday, when we gather before God's word when we gather to praise God through song, when we gather to praise him, yes, in prayer. Because praise cannot be separated and divorced from prayer. And likewise, prayer cannot be absent of his praise. The two are so tied together. John Stott puts it like this. If we keep Together, praise and prayer, benediction and petition, we are unlikely to lose our spiritual equilibrium. 
So what Stott expresses in that sentence is exactly what Paul writes, namely that we both give thanks and praise to God for his spiritual blessings to us, while also continuing in prayer for the fullness of what he has given to us. And that is works of sanctification. We are blessed in righteousness when we come to Jesus, but it is a process that continues, the sanctification of becoming free from sin towards holiness. And so we praise God for where we are right now, imperfect, but on a journey of sanctification, and acknowledge the fullness that is to come when we rise in glory. And so that's the introduction to this. And we move then to the prayer itself. I'm going to read from um, verse 17 through 19a. If you want to follow in your own Bibles, I should have said I'm reading this morning from the NIV. Here again, God's word. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Put that down. Who here likes learning? Any of you? Yep, a few hands going up no matter what age you are, young, old. Maybe you like geography or history or maybe you're into current affairs and politics or whatever it is that floats your boat, uh, you like to learn. Maybe it's about getting that head knowledge on whatever is your favourite subject or subjects. Or maybe you're an avid crossword or Sudoku fan and you like to keep your brain active like a well-worked muscle. That's head knowledge. It's inner knowledge. When you take it in, when you learn it, you you bring it into you. But what it is not is godly wisdom. This month's Life and Work, uh, the magazine of the Church of Scotland, I get as a minister, uh, as an online magazine. I tend not to read it a huge amount, but there I flick through and read bits. And Richard Fraser, who's a Church of Scotland minister from Greyfriars, has written a piece in September entitled, God Within, Considering the Subversive Freedom of the Spirit. And I'm going to quote a couple of bits from him. He says, There is an ancient idea that the last place people will often look when seeking to find God is deep within. Instead, we look to books and institutions and can fail to, fail to look inside to discover who and whose we truly are. As people created in the image of God, why should we not look inside ourselves to discover the spirit dwelling in our inmost being? A bit further in the article, he quotes a statistician, can't get that word out, an economist, E.F. Schumacher, who Um, has his own spiritual awakening that was the discovery of an entirely unexplored new world inside himself as he began to explore his interior life through prayer and meditation, the journey inward. 
And Fraser continues, if the spirit is at work deep within us, then the glorious wonder of the gospel is more likely to set us free if it emerges from within than if some well-meaning person or institution comes along and tells us what we think and need. The message is the same, the glorious liberty of God's children. But the way it comes to us can make a difference. Fraser argues that the institution of the church is in need of refashioning in order to be more cultural, culturally appropriate. I've shared quite a lot of that article, but I do so because I have a problem with his viewpoint. The call to look with the, at the spirit within, along with the argument that it is the institution of the church that's getting in the way of the gospel, is an ancient heresy. It's Gnosticism revisited. For those who don't know, Gnosticism is a collection of religious ideas from the late first century AD, and it was held among Jewish and Christian sects. And the uniting emphasis of Gnosticism was on personal spiritual knowledge, hence the word Gnosticism. Knowledge is gnosis in the Greek. This personal spiritual knowledge was more prized than orthodox teaching, tradition, and any authority of religious organizations. It promoted spiritual enlightenment over the concept of sin and repentance, and I'd argue that's what the article by Fraser is promoting. Gnosticism, looking within, and perhaps it's never gone away since the first century because we like to find our own truth by looking within. Because when we look for our own truth within, we can skip the bits of gospel that we don't like, the bits that make us uncomfortable. And in this prayer, Paul ends up at belief, not enlightenment. Enlightenment is what people are looking for when they are looking within themselves. So I'll try and light Paul's path as he proclaims it in this prayer. So one, he keeps asking that God of the Lord Jesus Christ, so it's not some unknown God, it's not some God of the pagans, this is the Trinitarian God of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he asks that God of the Lord Jesus Christ would give you as in those to whom he's writing, you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul wants Christ's followers to have, yes, knowledge, gnosis, but not worldly knowledge. Rather to have a knowledge that is spiritual wisdom, wisdom only revealed in Jesus Christ. We can't find Jesus Christ in ourselves. Jesus Christ was sinless, we are not. And the reason for spiritual wisdom and revelation is not about knowing ourselves better. It's about knowing God better. It's about understanding and knowing God more, and you cannot find God by looking inside yourself. Yes, the Spirit dwells upon those God calls, those who are baptized, but we only know God more know him better by casting our eyes towards Jesus, the one who reveals God, who was a sinless man and is true God. So Paul prays that prayer. He prays that the eyes of your hearts be 
enlightened. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? The eyes are what, I, are what sees. The heart is the seat of emotion and power. But what enlightenment is, isn't equivalent to human self-knowledge. But for many centuries, even more so in our contemporary world, human reason and self-knowledge are what are considered the road to enlightenment. Wikipedia, yeah, I use it occasionally, they state there that the age of enlightenment, also known as the age of reason, was an intellectual and philosophical movement that occurred, especially in Western Europe in the 17th and 18th centuries, with global influences and effects. It included a range of ideas centered on the value of human happiness, the pursuit of knowledge obtained by means of reason and evidence of the senses, so scientific reasoning, and ideals such as natural law, liberty, progress, toleration, fraternity, constitutional government, and the separation of church and state. That's what the Enlightenment brought in the 17th and 18th centuries, and it continues today. The agent of Enlightenment still attempts today to discredit the wisdom and knowledge of the church. But that doesn't mean the church should not be a thinking community. We must be. Because our faith is not unreasonable. The world would say faith is based on emotion. Nothing really factual. But our faith is not unreasonable. A focus on enlightenment in the church is not a call for Christians to be all Christians to be academics or to say solutions to the problem of life are academic. They are not all academic. Rather, that in the church, Christians grow in understanding, in enlightenment of life by knowing God. Through growing in depth of faith, by spirit and wisdom and revelation. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in order that we believe. That's what Paul writes. The spirit and wisdom and revelation are so we believe. Again, I'll quote John Stott. Faith goes beyond reason, but rests on it. Knowledge is the ladder by which faith climbs higher, the springboard from what, which it leaps further. We're starting life groups, as you know, and my hope will be that these life groups will exercise your minds with analysis, reflection, reasoned discussion, because the gospel matters. And what we then think and say and how we live outside in the world also matters. But what we live, what we think, what we say, needs to be rooted in God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and not in our inner self-revelation. So why do we need this enlightenment in our hearts? That you may know. Paul is saying knowledge is important, but there's specific knowledge. What are the three things that you are to know? He gives three. Hope, God's riches, and his power. 
Hope. Hope is the hope to which God has called you. Verse 18a. For Paul, hope is not optimistic, wishful thinking. You know, people out there who hope to win the lottery. They hope Friday's going to come around sooner because they want to get to the weekend. You know, that's wishful thinking. But the hope to which God calls you is a certainty of a thing looked for but not yet experienced. It's a certainty. It's hoped based on the promises of God, fulfilled in the person of Jesus. It isn't vain hope, but a sure and certain hope to which the Christian is called, based on what Jesus has done, has already done. It's certain hope based on the cross and the empty tomb. Charles Spurgeon wrote about the Christian First he hopes and believes that he shall be under divine protection forever and ever. That he shall be the object of divine love, time out of mind. And when time shall be no more, he expects a stormy voyage. But because Christ is at the helm, he hopes to come to the fair havens at the last. He expects to be tempted, but he hopes to be upheld. He expects to be slandered, but he hopes to be cleared. He expects to be tried, but he hopes to triumph. Sustained by this hope, he dreads no labors and fears no difficulties. Hope. The second thing Paul writes of are the riches of his glorious inheritance, 18b. Or in the words of Eugene Peterson, in the message, the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. This can be read two ways. Either that the salvation of the saints are God's riches to himself, or that Paul wants us to know the riches that we, the followers of Christ, have in God. That the salvation of the saints are God's riches to himself, or the riches that are, that as followers of Jesus Christ, the riches we have in God. It can be read in either way. And I've, I've been reading this week about who, which way to go, and I've, I've, I've prayed and thought about it. I lean towards the second in, interpretation. I'm in fairly good company, John Calvin, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and John Stott, among many others. Paul has referenced the calling of believers as being marked in Jesus. He said that in verse 13, that they're sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. And now Paul in his prayer wants us to understand the riches that await believers at the end. A future hope. Those that are called to inheritance are his holy people. Followers of Jesus know the hope they are called to in Christ and so know the richness of that inheritance to which they are called. The hope of the riches of his glorious inheritance. And lastly, we are to know God's power, his great power. But great doesn't even come close. It's incomparable power. There's nothing like it, but yet it is for those who believe. 
The faithful need and require the power of God. And it's present today in his word, in this book, in this holy scripture. God's power is present in this and in his Holy Spirit. Through faith, through prayer, through biblical teaching and understanding, our knowledge, our wisdom, the enlightenment of our hearts grow as we acknowledge that it is through Christ we find wisdom that completes who we are within. That's why we can't just nasal gave looking at within. It is to Christ we look. And the hope that in his power, our, our sinfulness is forgiven. And we're made righteous before a holy God. Through repentance hearts, right now. Welcomed into the arms of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. Worked in, working that sanctification daily. To show what Paul, the depth of what Paul means in this short passage, this short verse, he uses four different words for power. Dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. It's a raw power, a power that overcomes impediments, that dynamites the way. The second is energis, from which we get the word energy. We eat and we take food and beverage to give us our body's energy. God is this spiritual energy that enables us to live in his godliness. And the last two, kratos and ichthos, both mean might or strength. Four different words. Paul is saying God is all-powerful. The magnitude of his power is beyond our comprehension, but it is for the benefit of those who would believe. God is all-powerful. And so, I'll wrap up, I'll move to these last verses, so 19b through to uh, the end of chapter 1 through to verse 23. Here again, the word of God. That power is like the working of, of his mighty strength, to which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in his way. Amen. That's a statement, isn't it? God's power is found in the fullness of the church. That's a statement. But it's only found in the church in and as much as God's greatness is found in Jesus. The power of God is evident throughout history. When we pick up the word of God, we find the power of God in the creation. We find it in the flood. We find it in the exodus. We find it in David defeating Goliath. We find it in Daniel unscathed in the lion's den. And we find it in Esther's quiet work of saving the Jews in the Persian royal palace. God moves in power. 
Yet, it is in the birth in Bethlehem of Jesus that we see the enormous power of God. We see it in Jesus' ministry, and then as Paul attests, we see his mighty strength exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Verse 20. As you probably all know, and many of us mourn, death is a bitter, relentless enemy. If we just cast our eyes to the world and to the news every day, there are stories of death in war, in hospital wards, in neonatal wards, in knife crime on the streets, statistics of drink and drug deaths in Scotland, and in our own families and our loved ones. Death is a relentless beast, moving from the stopping of the human heart to decay. Death is something humans cannot avoid. But, and there is a but, by the power of God, death and decay were beaten. And instead, life reigned in the risen Son, Jesus. Jesus replaced death and decay with immortal, free, glorious life that none have experienced before or since. Or not yet, at least. But that is what is promised. The resurrection is a public display of God's power. And that's what Paul is setting plainly before his readers. Power of God brings Jesus from the grave, who now rests in heaven, in the seat of power at God's right hand, the place of highest honor and all authority. Jesus rules above all places at all times, in the heavenly spiritual realms and in the world around us. I think. I'm not sure whether it was last week or another week. I've mentioned before, it doesn't matter whether people have another faith and don't believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord, whether they have no faith, whether they have laziness of faith or absolute commitment to Jesus. All, everyone, everything comes under his sovereign rule. Everything. Doesn't matter. The person who says, I don't believe in Jesus. It doesn't matter that they don't believe. He's still sovereign. Jesus Christ has been and is exalted by the Father in the place where everything comes under his feet. And so in all times, in all the world and all of the cosmos have been, are and still will be in the future under his rule and reign. Then we get the mention of the church by Paul. And who's the church? Well, if you're a believer sat here today and you're a believer in Jesus as Savior and Lord, that is you. You are the church. Pay attention to what it said. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So Jesus got it all under his feet. 
all under control. He's the head of the church, the body of Christ. And then we hear the fullness filling everything in every way. This is not the fullness of the church per se, but rather the fullness of Jesus Christ filling his church. Because the church is made up of you and me, the imperfect, the broken. Yet the church, the body of Christ, is perfect in so many ways because Christ imputes his righteousness, his perfect will to it. He redeems his people, the church. He brings hope in inheritance, power in weakness, life from death. The church is the vessel of that faith. That's why we can't look within. That's why Gnosticism is heresy. The vessel of the church is a place filled with and by Christ. And when we take our eyes off Christ and just look to the church and ourselves, we are no longer the church. It's Christ who fills the believer, who comes in the power of the Holy Spirit upon believers. And so in filling the church, the church is accorded the highest honor that unites us to the Son and reckons himself to us. I'll wrap up. This sermon started thinking about knowledge and wisdom and about finding ourselves in the realm of God's power. I think I've made that plain, I hope. And the eternal thread that goes through all of this, from Genesis to Revelation, through the whole word of God, through the whole realm of history, the thread that goes through it all is Jesus Christ the Son. Our knowledge, no matter how vast an intellect you are, without the presence of belief in the Lord, you will always lack wisdom. I said before, knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Knowledge is not wisdom. If we lack belief in the Lord, we lack wisdom. And if we lack belief in Jesus, we lack not only wisdom, but also power. The life-renewing, death-defeating power that the church carries is the message of the gospel to the world. And the Lord will see his people blessed by him in all eternity and the devil defeated and placed under his feet. The gates of hell will not prevail. We need only to be the divine expression of the presence of God to our world. Can we do that? Can we hold to the gospel? Because through Jesus, the church has all it ever needs to be what it is called to be, the lived present expression of a hope for what is to come. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your hope, your hope of the glory of the risen Son in whom we find faith from which we find, from whom we find, sorry, not cheap grace, but a costly grace, a costly grace of his death upon the cross. Father, we thank you for his righteousness, righteousness imputed to those who believe. May we take these words of your scriptures today, holy scriptures, and implant them on our hearts that we may know you,
we may learn and grow in knowledge, but more than that, in wisdom. Let us go today with that wisdom in our hearts. For the sake of your Son, our Saviour and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Worship Podcast from the team here at GMC. Again, if you'd like more details about who we are, what we believe and how we serve, then visit our website at gillespiechurch.org. Find us on Facebook or look back at some of the videos on our YouTube channel. Just search Gillespie Memorial Church. All inquiries can be made through the Contact Us page of our website. Details in the show notes. If you'd like to support our work with a financial donation, then offerings can be made by clicking the Support Us with Stewardship icon through the Contact Us page of the website. If you like what you heard, then please share with friends and family. This has been a production of GMC, including the pastors and the tech team. All copyright remains with the producers. Today's episode was edited by Barbara Ann Howie, and the soundtrack is Up to the Mood by Low Tree. Thanks for listening, and God bless.